We dismiss our children for their time of worship as those of us who remain bow in prayer. Let's pray together. May the mystery that earth has no sorrow but heaven can remove wash over us this morning. For the reality is that uh, there is sorrow. There is pain. There's brokenness. But there is also beauty and life and love. So on this, the first day of the week, as we gather in this sacred place, may we be reoriented by the power of love over hate, hope over despair, light over darkness, so that we might be the bold and healing people of God in this time and place. In the name of the one who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you've been around Highland a while, you may be wincing as uh, you hear me read the scripture because you know this is one uh, that I can sort of wind up and knock out of the park. I, uh, this is my kind of sermon right here, my kind of text. There are people out there in the ditch, and they're wounded, and they're bleeding, and they're half dead, and it's you and me that are called by the power of God to go out there and help them, restore them to life again. So now go be doers of the word and not hearers only. Any questions? Uh, it's, 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 this is my verse. This is my passage. Uh, every pastor has to... Uh, have a sermon in his or her hip pocket in case you're called upon to preach sometime when you weren't prepared to preach. I didn't uh, originate this little uh, sermon, but I've, I've certainly embellished it and polished it so it feels like mine. Uh, but it's, it's basically this text, these three different groups who are going in the same direction but end up with different destinies. The first one is the thief who sees the vulnerable man His theme is, what's mine is yours, and I'll take it. The second is the priest and the Levite, who see the man, see the need, but pass by on the other side, saying, what's mine is mine, and I'll keep it. And the final one is the Samaritan, who sees the man is moved with pity and says, what's mine is yours, and I'll share it. I do believe in that message. I do believe that... Jesus said, uh, one finds one's life by losing it. That that is one of the mysteries of the cross of Jesus. That the life that's given is the life that's given back. But preaching that all the time can have some awkward moments. Last year, Stephanie True was ordained at our partner church, Ridgewood Baptist. I was asked to bring the sermon or something to it. Uh, It was one of those things where you've got several preachers and we're all in a row. And um, The preacher before me was a seminary professor, one of her professors from the Presbyterian Seminary. Her message to Stephanie was, you need to guard yourself. You need to take care of yourself. For ministry is hard, and so make sure that you set boundaries and parameters and, and care for yourself. She was followed by me who basically said, Stephanie, you need to give yourself away. You need to burn yourself out for the gospel. That's, that's what I read and what I say. 
But I recognize that this is not all of the gospel. And if I have a blind side, it is not preaching to this other side of the gospel. The kind of sermon that is evidenced in the beautiful choral anthem we just heard. That recognizes the broken places in this world and speaks to the love of God that is there for it. Not just as a consolation prize when we die and we go to heaven, though we believe this, but a power and a peace that can touch lives, your life, my life, even today, and make it different. One of the odd parts of being a pastor, one of the ministers on staff, is sitting on this chancel Sunday after Sunday and seeing a beautiful congregation come in here, but you know so many stories, all the bruises, all the broken places. Carol and Renee returned from VBS camp and from passport camp and shared all the many and varied hurts and heartaches that people have in this world, young children have in this world, and I look out and I see families that are struggling to stay together, couples struggling to stay together, people wondering about their jobs and their futures, people knowing, wanting to know, how do, I, how do I be a good brother or a good sister or a good parent or a child in the situation that I'm in? There's a lot of brokenness in this world. When I think about all of the external messages that get added on to the realities of our daily life that imply somehow you're not quite good enough. Your teeth aren't white enough. You're not thin enough. You're not cool enough or rich enough. You may not be ready when the moment's right. You're either too white or too black. You're too short. And by the way, your cell phone's out of date and you're just a loser. (laughs) And so we expect of ourselves more. We want more to try to keep that uh, facade of being okay. Jesus told a parable one time about a man. He had a fine barn. But when the, the crops came in and were so good, he decides to himself, I need a bigger barn. I know, I'll tear down the one I have and build a bigger barn. You know how the parable ends. With a voice from heaven saying, you fool. Did you not know that this very night your soul is required of you? And these things that you have, what, what good will they be? Whose will they be? Eventually, these messages begin to chip away at our sense of ourselves, and we begin to believe and even internalize these messages, and we become dissatisfied with who we are, and we begin, like Hank Williams Jr., to live out the songs that we wrote and becomes toxic. Even church, intended to be a place of nurture and love, can cause pain and heart, heartache and concern. I know that Our conversations about membership is deeply disturbing to some of you. I know that last week uh, I spoke about money and offerings three different times. Someone said to me, three? Really? Come on. I mentioned the regular giving to our budget. I mentioned the global mission offering and 
as we left, I said, oh, yeah, by the way, there'll be a fellowship fund taken at the door on Communion Sunday. And you might leave with the message, you're not giving enough. You're not good enough. You're not doing enough. That's not the intent of the message. But I can certainly see how that message could be inferred. I suppose all of this is why this time when I came to my favorite passage of Scripture that came up in the lectionary reading, instead of licking my chops and rubbing my hand and saying, I know this one, I could preach this one, my eyes fell on two words at the very end of the passage where we're invited to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, to love our neighbor as yourself. As you love yourself. Perhaps this quote from the Old Testament book of Leviticus assumes that we are already loving ourselves. In fact, maybe we love ourselves a little too much so that if you will just love your neighbor a little bit like you love yourself, we'll be in good shape in this world. We think that, don't we? We think that some, we won't point fingers, but some of you love yourself a little too much. We call it narcissism. But the counselors and therapists who understand what really goes on behind people's lives and behind destructive behavior tell us that people appear to love themselves not because they love themselves so much, but in fact quite the opposite because they detest themselves deep down. We don't love ourselves, we don't believe ourselves, and the result is unloving, hurtful, harmful acts against neighbors and against God. We become bullies, bullies of all ages. We can't hear each other's points of view. We are unwilling to share. We're closed down to other people. We're unable to hear a word of criticism or guidance or suggestion, not because we love ourselves too much, but because we're insecure and afraid. And it makes me think, what if we've presumed all along incorrectly, incorrectly, that the world generally loves itself too much when, in fact, there's a lot of hate, self-hate and self-aversion really going on? What does it mean to love yourself? What if the writer of Leviticus this passage that Jesus so heartily affirms as the way to inherit eternal life? What if the point of loving oneself is to say that self-love is the prerequisite for this healthy, vital, whole, and holy life that God wants us to have? What if a key part of the gospel is restoring into each one of us a self-love that gets lost somewhere along the way. The problem is, we are just so judgmental. We're judgmental of others, and it turns on ourselves. A few years ago, in talking with my spiritual director, I 
came to realize that this is the person I talked to about my own faith and my own connection to God. I, I came to realize that I had so much anger and uh, shame about myself as a 19-year-old young man. I'd done some things I was ashamed of. I'd been carrying them for 40 years. She helped me see that self-love forgives. That self-love lets things go and allows the power of this this love that we sang about. Angels descending, bring from above, echoes of mercy, whispers of love. I've sung that song all my life. I don't need the hymnal. But to, to get that truth deep down in me, somehow it had missed this part of who I am and who I was. She invited me into that place of forgiving myself and loving myself. For how can I love my neighbor? How can I really even love God if you're supposed to do it as you love yourself? And so today, behind all of the obligatory photos of uh, my grandchildren, which I'm happy to share with you, or my own children or my wife, all proudly displayed on the corner of my desk, behind it sits a little black and white photo I keep of myself as that 19-year-old boy, long hair, uh, playing the drums, a puffy sleeve shirt with the pointy collars. It's a real handsome look, I can assure you. But I keep it facing myself as a reminder to love myself so that I can fully love others and love God. What is it to love yourself? To love yourself is to live in that primal declaration made at our creation, made at the very foundation of the world, that when we, human beings, were made, God said, it's very good, very good. Your basic makeup, who you are as a person, is good. You have the ability, you've been made in the image of God, you've been given free will, you have the ability to love and create, to remember, to dream, and it's all good. It's all part of your basic composition. And I know you're sitting there thinking, yes, but I've messed it up. And we have. We've messed it up. We've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as a result, we've got all these nicks and scars and tattoos and dents and broken and worn places. We've all done these bad things. But beneath it and all around it is this God who can see through it all and declare you. You're very good. It makes all the difference in the world. Hafiz, that amazing 14th century Sufi poet, writes, now is the time. Now is the time to consider a lasting truce with yourself and God. Now is the time to understand that your ideas of right and wrong were just a child's training wheels to be laid aside when you can finally live with truth and with love. My dear, please tell me, why do you still throw sticks at your heart and at God? 
What is it in that sweet voice inside that incites you to fear? This is the time. This is the time for you to deeply compute the impossibility that there is anything, anything but grace. We said it at the beginning of the hour, these words from Colossians that we read as our responsive reading. How the fruit has been bearing among us from the day that we heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. It's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to comprehend it, which has less to do with intelligence than it does with your heart. To accept that love deep into your heart and let it change everything. Some people can hear it and they get it. They're like going, the person that can go into the store and pick out the first piece of clothing, put it on, it looks fine. They walk out and they're good. Others are so wounded. They're so beset by negative images and messages that come from without and within that they need help. John Claypool said, we don't know all about ourselves, all by ourselves. We need the honest vision of those around us to truly know our own truth. I had a young woman in my youth group many, many years ago. Her name was Christy, a beautiful young woman, winsome and charming and intelligent, very devout and very kind to those around her. But in moments of quiet and privacy, Christy would become very dark and subdued, for there was somewhere in her this sense that she was unworthy. I wasn't sharp enough or brave enough to try to explore what was behind all that in Christy. All I knew to say as a young minister is this, I wish I could be for you, Christy, a mirror that I could hold up before you and let you see what God sees when God looks at you. Many of us saw the movie or read the book called The Help. Set in the 1960s in Jackson, Mississippi, it tells the story of the domestic workers of that city. A few women in particular, one, Miss Abilene, who works for the Lee Foltz family. It's a white family, up-and-coming, upper-middle-class Beautiful wife, handsome husband, kind of has it all. Has the beautiful house, has a beautiful daughter, has the domestic worker in their home. But behind closed doors, the mother, Elizabeth, is abusive to this beautiful little girl, Mae Mobley. And so it falls to Abilene, the help, to take this little girl aside in the privacy of the little girl's nursery, to bring her up onto her lap, And say to her these words that have been burned into our culture's psyche. This invitation to love herself. You is kind. You is smart. You is important. The little girl begins to hear the words. And in fact begins to memorize the words. So that as she sits in Abilene's lap, she says back, to Abilene, almost like a little parrot, a little echo. You is smart. 
You is kind. You is important. The story goes on to make one wonder if maybe Abilene was able to hear in the little girl's echo words that she needed to hear to be the woman that God was calling her to be, to break out of those oppression that she lived in and to tell her story with courage. It's a great, it's a great book. It's a great story. But I'm always left wondering about the other people who needed to hear I think about that mother, Elizabeth. She's such a despicable character. She's beautiful. She's narcissistic. And I think to myself, who more needed to hear the word of love, the invitation to love yourself? It makes me wonder if that kind of love might have healed her, transformed her, saved her. This is why Jesus Christ came into the world. To say to each of us, you are loved. Please, for God's sake, love yourself. Be transformed by this sacred love and silence all of the haters in the world, and reject all those pushers of fear and materialism and greed and violence, and reboot your life into this love, this primal love, so that you can help change the world to love the haters and the haughty. It begins, I'm convinced, when divine love comes. And invite you to love yourself. I've been a pastor for a long time. I've done over 200 weddings. And often at these weddings, the couple will ask me, will you read that passage? It's in the Bible somewhere. Love is patient. Love is kind. Yeah, I, I've heard that one. It's a beautiful passage. Though I speak with the tongues of mortals and of angels, but have not love, I'm like a clanging gong or a crashing cymbal. It almost sounds like a Hallmark card. It's beautiful. I'd say to the couples, yeah, I will, I will read this for your wedding if you'll let me set it in the context that it's not a wedding poem. It's a letter written to a church that's in the midst of conflict to talk about the importance of love. This morning, as I think about this invitation for us as we love ourselves. I wonder what we might hear if we took the passage from 1 Corinthians and read it to ourselves. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not boastful or haughty or arrogant or rude. It doesn't seek its own way. It doesn't rejoice in the wrong. It rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love, he says, never fails. After his ministry was completed, the writer of 1 John told us, 
that God's other name is love. Love. God is love. For God's sake, love yourself. Let's pray together. Believing that you have been embodied in Jesus, your Son, we are invited to live and walk in the newness of life. And so this day, whether we're here for the first time and hearing this word anew, or whether we're hearing it yet again, may it penetrate to those places in ourselves that need the healing love that is found and formed and fulfilled in your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.